Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defence and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Thank you, Kat, and uh, please keep your Bibles open at uh, Philippians, and on the back of the service sheet there are uh, some uh, headings. Let me pray as we begin this new series in this letter. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help those of us who are teaching this to do so clearly and faithfully, to say what it says so that you will speak. And just as importantly, we pray that you will help us to listen, to really listen, and to take it to heart, to be encouraged, to be challenged, corporately as well as individually, for this letter is written to a local church. So speak to us from your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, three headings as we begin the first part of what will be a series in this letter. Firstly, it is a letter to a local church. It is a letter to a local church. Very often when we read the Bible, we default to think the particular Bible book is written to us. Some are, but this is a letter to a local church. So the application is immediately obvious to us the letter is to us as a church, across all the services, to our whole church family. Let's read the opening verses again. Follow with me. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints, all the Christians in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, in the local church in Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice something really important right at the start, and I've hinted at it. This is a letter written to a local church. Yes, like Chalmers, but it is written to every single person in that local church. Now, Paul makes that clear from the introductory verses. It is written to all the saints, all the Christians, and the overseers, they are the elders, and the deacons. In other words, to the members of the church, to the leaders of the church, to everyone. Now, lest we think this emphasis on the whole church is just a conventional way of beginning a letter, it is absolutely clear from the rest of the letter that this is a major theme. Everyone in the church is valued. Everyone in the church matters. 
Everyone in the church has a role. Let me come at it another way. Every single person's attitude in that church impacts and matters. Every single person's willingness and acts of service matters. Every single person in a church family's theological convictions matter. Everyone contributes positively, some negatively, to the unity of the church, its gospel focus, and thereby its impact. Now, let me just point you to a couple of trailers to show you that Paul really is meaning to write to every single person in that church. Chapter 1, verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. And just a a little heads up there, if the apostle can say to a local church, you are all partakers with me of grace, it's a strong church. And we'll get to what that means later. Or chapter 1, verse 8, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all. And just glance forward to chapter 1, verse 27. I'd pick these verses out as the key verses in the book that reveal the purpose of the letter. This is why Paul, I think, is writing the letter. Chapter 1, verse 27, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, your, meaning all of you in the church family, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, plural, that you, plural, are standing firm in one spirit, all of you, with one mind, striving side by side, shoulder to shoulder, for the faith of the gospel. It is a letter written to a local church and to everyone in that local church. Now, that is an encouragement that you matter, that I matter, that we all matter. And it is a challenge. Questions like, are we contributing by our convictions, our serving, our attitude to the unity and ministry of the church? Every one of us will be spoken to through this letter. That is our confidence because God is speaking from his word and this letter is written to everyone in the local church. Therefore, he'll speak to everyone in the local church who listens. So let's sit up and hear what God has to say to us as individual members of this local church and to us as a local church. Now this week has been Henley Royal Regatta. I have been watching it online. Nobody else probably has. Today was final state. Chalmers had a participant, at least one, He did well to advance through the early rounds, and that's not easy before succumbing to what turned out to be uh, the winning crew in their event. Now, crew rowing, whether it's eights, quads, pairs, doubles, whatever it is, uh, you may have no idea what I'm talking about. You may remember it from the Olympics. Crew rowing is the epitome in team sports. Everyone matters, everyone pulling for the others. The speed of the boat And the straightness of the track that the boat goes down the course is not only a matter of strength and fitness, but everyone working in sync and in harmony. Think of one of these crew rowing boats, and that's a good picture in your minds of a church all pulling in the same direction. Now just pause there. And just pause and think about what he's saying. Think about how 
dynamic, how unified, how clear, how non-distracted a church would be where everyone in that church is in sync with the same convictions. It doesn't mean to say that they're the same because we all have different gifts and personalities. But a church where the heart is beating strongly, that's the church in Philippi. It is a letter to everyone in a local church. Second point, verses 3 to 8. Paul's focus in these verses is on thanksgiving for loving gospel partnership. Thanksgiving for loving gospel partnership. Now, let me draw out a number of different facets from these verses. Firstly, notice that Paul tells the Christians in Philippi that he has been praying for them with thanks to God for their partnership in the gospel. Why doesn't he just thank them for their partnership in the gospel? Why does he tell them he has been praying with thanks for their partnership in the gospel? Because Paul knows, and he wants them to know, and he wants us to know that partnership in the gospel, we'll define that in a minute, is something that fundamentally God brings about. And therefore, he says, I thank God for your partnership in the gospel. In other words, he's speaking horizontally about their partnership with each other as Christians in the church. He's speaking horizontally about his partnership with them, but always there is a vertical. God has given us this partnership. Now, that means it is supernatural. It is mighty powerful. It is not of this world. It is divinely given. It is God behind it. Now, that does not mean to say that we do not need to work at gospel partnership. We are, chapter 2, verse 12 in Philippians, to work out our salvation. But we work out our salvation. We do not work it in. We work it out. We work out what God has given us. Now, these rowing crews that won at Henley are awfully fast. They are in sync. They are in timing. But the reason they won is because of the natural abilities and athletic physique that they had. They worked out what had been put in by God, if you like. Our unity as a church, if we are united as a church family, our shared convictions as a church is the supernatural work of God. It is of grace. It is given by God. We strive in his strength, not in our own. Uh, a parallel letter would be Ephesians, where Paul exhorts another local church to eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He exhorts them to maintain, but not to attain unity. Our unity is God-given. It is supernatural. And this cashes out just in ordinary Christian life. If you say to someone, I have been praying with thanks to God for you. It's really important. It reminds them that it's God who's at work in their life. Now, as we reflect on the past 18 months as a church, it would not be wrong to thank God for partnership in the gospel. But first and foremost, we thank, uh, to thank one another. There you go, I got it right. <laughs> it would not be wrong to thank one another for partnership in the gospel. That's what I've written down. But of course, I stumbled on to thank God for the partnership in the gospel. 
we enjoy. We have a mighty God who graciously unites us by his grace. Otherwise, we would not have survived in one piece. And that is a prayer we could surely pray as we look back on the past 18 months, indeed far longer from the first day until now. I thank my God for our partnership in the gospel. Second uh, facet or point in these central verses. In light of his thanksgiving for what God has done, Paul immediately encourages the church at Philippi that God is going to keep on doing it until Jesus returns. Verse 6, and I am sure of this. This is the apostle expressing certainty to us that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It's not just that he who began a good work in you at your conversion and together as you come together as a church is going to keep on going tomorrow and the next day and the next month. He's going to keep on going until Jesus comes again. God is not going to stop. He is going to carry on the work of transformation and uniting you in gospel partnership until Jesus comes again. Paul is sure of this. His certainty is our encouragement. Third, note the emphasis on the return of Jesus when the church age ends and the new creation begins. That perspective, the day of Christ's return, and keeping that perspective in view is a point Paul makes repeatedly in the letter. It is so easy for us in life when we have eternal life, to get the perspective wrong for this life. This life is always to be gauged with a perspective of eternal life. Keeping that in view focuses our minds, our convictions, our decisions, our priorities. Now, fourthly, let me try to define what Paul means by gospel partnership. He thanks God for their gospel partnership. What is it that he values so uh, highly? And when he talks about their gospel partnership, he has in mind their partnership with one another inside the local church. So if you like our partnership with one another, what does that mean? What does it look like? And he's also talking about their partnership with him. In other words, partnership beyond the local church or between local churches. So he says, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for, here's the because, here is what gospel partnership is, for you are all, there's that powerful little word, all of you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, I could give you lots of explanations as to what gospel partnership is, but we've got to stick to what Paul here says it is. He says gospel partnership is that you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Partakers with me of grace. What Paul is saying is that you share all of you Christians in the church at Philippi, you share with me. Not that you, in a sense, partner or support me in this, but you share in that your experience is my experience. You share in a willingness to embrace as a gift from God 
suffering or hardship for the sake of the gospel, you share with me a conviction to defend that gospel from error, and you share with me a desire to confirm and to proclaim the gospel. That's, I think, what Paul is saying. He's saying inside that church at Philippi, there is a willingness to embrace as a gift of God's grace, suffering for the sake of the gospel. There is a willingness inside that church in Philippi to to accept as a commission from God, a conviction to defend the gospel from error and to proclaim it outside. And Paul is saying that's what characterizes you as a church. You are in partnership in these things. That's what characterizes my ministry, the apostles' ministry, and you therefore are in partnership with me. Now, it was not easy in the church in Philippi. The start of the church had not been simple, and ever since it had not been easy. You can read about the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 16, Paul, Silas in prison, the the dramatic release from prison, the conversion of the Philippian jailer. Just a tough place to start a church. Such was the lot of these early church plants in pioneering ministry. Just up the road from Philippi, Thessalonica, just as hard, just as difficult. Now turn forward in your Bibles or look forward to chapter 1, verses 29 and 30. This follows Paul's exhortation that the Christians in the church in Philippi stand firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Then in verse 29, he says this, For it has been granted to you, a gift to you, a grace gift, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Now, these are striking verses, and we'll come to them in detail. But the point is, the gospel partnership Paul is referring to is that the Christians in the church in Philippi have together, with one another in that church, that's what makes it partnership, willingly embraced the circumstances God has called them into. Now, our situation is very different But God has called us as a gospel church to be his witness in a time, in a season, in a part of the world where the church is far more dissonant in its message than it's been for generations, where it's tough to be a Christian gospel church. And gospel partnership that we have one with the other is accepting these circumstances. And if God has called us to stand firm, to defend, to guard the gospel in our time. And that's all he calls us to do. Then we need to humbly accept that as God's grace to us. But he always with that calls a living church, to proclaim the gospel, to defend, to proclaim, and to embrace as a grace gift the difficulties that come. Now, that is gospel partnership 
between individuals in a local church. And that is what Paul, the Apostle Paul, affirms in this church. There are no silver bullets in this church. There are no fancy or smart strategies. There is just authenticity. It's like if you were to cut a stick of rock. Do you remember sticks of rock? You youngsters don't know what I'm talking about. Some of the oldies here do. You used to get them at the seaside before they were banned because they had too much sugar. And all the way through the stick of rock, there was writing that ran all the way through. If you cut the church in Philippi like a stick of rock, what runs all the way through is a willingness to embrace the circumstances, the difficulties that come by being a gospel church, a willingness to defend the gospel, a willingness to proclaim the gospel, and a willingness to be identified alongside the Apostle Paul when all were deserting him. Partnership within the church, partnership beyond the church with the Apostle. Now, is that, Chalmers, is this a description of the kind of church that we are? I think it is in many ways. And I say that only because I think it is true. And with this question, if not, we need to say it's not true. We need to identify if it's not true. But if it is where we are, then this letter will encourage us and inspire and strengthen us to go forward in that vein. Real gospel partnership. Are we absolutely clear and convicted to identify with the apostles' teaching? Are their words in Scripture what guide us and direct our paths as a church? And are we willing to accept that our experience might be to suffer and strive and struggle for the gospel in our time, to guard it, to defend it, and to proclaim it, even when many, as we heard this morning, will not listen. That is gospel partnership. Now, the last thing I want us to note in these verses 3 to 8 is what is the dominant note of love, love and joy. It might seem odd, given what Paul has said about gospel partnership. If a particular church like the church in Philippi, maybe like gospel churches in our context today, are a bit up against it, are having to guard the gospel, are having to proclaim the gospel. Paul is writing from prison. The church in Philippi is under pressure, and yet the letter is full of love and, and joy. Why is that? They seem to be odd bedfellows. They are at odds, surely, with the circumstances to speak about love, yet it's there and it's strong. Just look with me, verse 4, making my prayer with joy. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Verse 8, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. The relationship between Paul and the Christians at Philippi is loving. The relationship between the Christians in the church in Philippi with one another is loving. The gospel partnership Paul is describing is loving gospel partnership. That's why he is so concerned at the back end of the letter when two people are falling out. Because love is so important. 
And the love Paul is speaking about is the love that God fashions in the life of a Christian and together in a Christian church. It is brought about by the gospel. It is supernatural. So the work of the gospel takes a living church, and when it grows in its convictions around the gospel, it grows in its willingness to embrace the circumstances God has called it into. It grows in its convictions to guard the gospel. It grows in its convictions to proclaim the gospel. It grows in its gospel partnership, and the same gospel at the same time grows that church in love. The churches that are the clearest, the strongest, the most thorough to the apostles' teaching are the churches where there is the greatest love. It's just authentic. A church that is willing to partake of the grace that is suffering, the grace that is defending and confirming and proclaiming the gospel is a church that is loving. Clear gospel convictions and real gospel love. Now, we often speak about Christian love in terms of the source of the love, that it is from God. Or we speak of Christian love in terms of the object or direction of the love. It is love for Jesus and for one another. So what is Christian love? Answer, it is the love from God, or it is my love for Jesus or my love for you. But let's not forget to speak of the actual love, not the source or the object or the direction, but the actual love. What is the love of God? What is it actually? It is Christ-likeness. It is being like Christ to one another, like Christ in our love for God. So what is it? It is the affection of Christ, verse 8. We yearn for one another with the affection of Christ. Chapter 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Love is being like Jesus. And so love is the mind of Jesus, humility. Love is the attitude of Jesus, looking to the interests of others. Love is the affection of Jesus for one another. Love is the life of Jesus in purity and righteousness. Love is the work of Jesus, the advance of the gospel. All of these will be picked up by Paul in this letter. Now that's what he's thanking God for. He's thanking God for the supernatural work that the gospel has done in this church family where all across that church family, there is love, Christ-likeness, humility, looking to the interests of others, affection for one another, purity, righteousness, a commitment to advance the gospel, love, and a willingness to embrace the circumstances God has put them in, not to change the gospel, but to rejoice that God has called them, perhaps in a tough time, to accept it, to guard the gospel, to pass it on, to proclaim it, to stick close to the apostles, their teaching, their gospel. That's the work of God that Paul gives thanks and I want to say to you, as uh, the minister or one of the ministers of Chalmers, Rog Jay, who preached 
regularly, Johnny, Scott, all of the elders would stand up here and say, and I think genuinely and rightly, that this is not a description of another church. It is a description of Chalmers. In some measure, and I'm, all my instincts are to say it's not, but it is. It is. And I want you to be encouraged in that. Now, thirdly, and with this we close, praying for progress. <laughs> it's almost as if the apostle goes, okay, I'm going to say these nice things to this church, and then he's going to say, right then, let's pray for progress. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul is writing to a strong church, as we have seen. He has much to thank God for, but now he prays for progress. Notice again that he tells them that he is praying for their progress. And that is because their progress and our progress as a church is dependent on God. If love is God-given, then the abounding of love is no less God-given. Yes, we are to work out our salvation, but salvation is what God gives. And salvation is not just justification, getting right with God at conversion. Salvation is every day the gospel being worked out in our lives, progress, growing into maturity, strengthening in gospel partnership, fundamentally what God does in us. And Paul prays to God for progress in the church in Philippi. We will do well, and I want to encourage you over the course of these coming weeks to keep returning to these words at Paul's prayer at the beginning of this letter and pray them for our life as a church family. What does Paul pray? That their love may abound. What a great phrase. Not take an inch or a step forward, but abound. Leaps and bounds. What is love? Remember, it's love for Jesus and love for Jesus' people, but love in itself is Christ-likeness. So Paul is praying that the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, the affection, the life, the work of Jesus, the purity, the righteousness of Christ in our lives may abound, may take leaps and bounds forward as a church. How does love abound? I want something concrete with knowledge. Love abounds with knowledge. It is not love and knowledge. It is love through knowledge or love and knowledge as a one. You cannot love Jesus without knowing him. That's obvious. You cannot love him without knowing him. You cannot love like him without knowing him more and more. We cannot grow in loving like Jesus without knowing him more and more. And how do we come to know Jesus? We come to know Jesus 
through his word. If I was to look back on the 15 months of lockdown, the one thing that I think God has impressed on me, not because of the circumstances of lockdown, although that has helped, but with the particular passages in the Bible we have looked at again and again, is the most important thing we can do in a church, if we are to do anything, is speak God's word, whether to unbelievers or believers. And the word of God is how we know Jesus, which builds our love and builds our gospel partnership. See, there are no silver bullets. It's knowing Jesus in his word. Coming each week and listening to the word of God preached, studying it in our small groups, reading it one on one. And that needs conviction in our time. But it's what changes people. How does love abound? With knowledge. It is love through knowledge. Now, we place a great deal of emphasis in Chalmers on teaching God's Word and teaching people to teach God's Word. But as we were reminded this morning, we need to pay just as much attention to listening to God's Word. And always remember the purpose of teaching and listening to God's Word is to become more like Jesus, more Christ-like, more loving, more clear in our gospel partnership. to get used to that. Paul refers at the end of verse 9 to all discernment. I think what Paul is saying there is that love abounds through knowledge and leads to discernment. What is discernment? Discernment is when the Bible doesn't tell you what to do exactly and you've got to be wise. Now, that happens a lot. For example, whether to plant a church, where, when, with who, buying and redeveloping buildings, appointing staff, beginning new ministries, where people will serve, which house group they join, how to keep church going during lockdown, coming out of lockdown, vision, strategy. It's all discernment. In the future, what lines will churches have to draw for the gospel? Discernment. How do you know what to do by allowing God and his gospel to grow your love with knowledge in partnership? And the church will make good and wise decisions. Love that abounds through knowledge also leads to approving what is excellent. Verse 10, the word approve here means not simply to affirm, but to own, to be, to commend, to hold one another accountable to the Christian life, purity, the fruit of righteousness. And as he exhorts us once again, Paul's focus turns to the day of Christ when we will be made perfect, blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. That is the future. That is what God is making us. And this life is work in progress. But wonderfully, it is progress as we depend on God. Now, today is the first day back after 18 months of lockdown. We do not know what the future holds. Rog reminded us this morning of the empty seats all of a sudden. And in a sense, the church doors are swung open wide again to invite people in to hear the gospel as we go out and embrace them. That's a great word to have this morning on day one after lockdown. And tonight, 
this opening chapter of Philippians is exhorting us to go on doing what you're doing, to grow in your love, to grow in the clarity of your gospel partnership. And that is authentic church. That is real church. And that is what the apostles commend. And remember this letter is written to every single person in a local church. So prick up your ears, open your hearts, and listen week by week to what God is saying to you with respect to all those around you and to this local church, of which we enjoy being a part. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this letter, and we commit its study to you over these coming weeks, and we simply ask that you would speak to every single one of us from this letter. For Jesus' sake. Amen.